to our scripture reading for this morning. It's from Matthew 21, verses 18 and 19. It's found on the uh, page 826 in the Pew Bible. And if you do not own a Bible, please feel free to take the one that's in your row as a gift from us. Again, Matthew 21, verses 18 and 19. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he, meaning Jesus, became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Bill Gorman, and I'm the campus pastor here at the Brookside campus, and we're really delighted that you uh, are here this morning. It's really good to see each one of you, especially if you're newer to Christ community, or maybe you're just even newer uh, to church, uh, period. Coming to a new place uh, with people that you don't know, um, whether you've been a part of church or not, uh, that's a hard thing to do. And so hopefully this morning you felt warmly welcomed, and we're just so glad that you're here with us and that you've come. And and walk through those doors today. Well, this uh, passage, this verse that Kate read for us this morning, it's kind of an interesting text. Uh, it's, it's probably for many of us not what we expect uh, from Jesus. Um, what's going on here with this fig tree? He walks up to it, he's looking for some breakfast, and, and there's nothing there, and he just curses the tree, and it withers and dies. Um, is Jesus just hangry in this moment? Is he so hungry that he's angry? Uh, does someone just need to get him a Snickers? Um, or, as you probably suspect, uh, is there something more going on here with a fig tree? Well, that's what we want to look at together this morning. And as we do, I want to begin by praying and asking God to give us insight as we do that. So, God, would you guide us this morning by your word and your spirit that in your light we may see light and in your truth find freedom and in your will, discover peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, we've all heard those terrible words at some point in our life, haven't we? I'm sorry, but you're too late. I mean, maybe you had that experience just a few weeks ago uh, with having a Christmas present arrive uh, via UPS on your doorstep on December 26th a little too late. Um, But to date, my worst experience of being too late happened in July of 2015. Uh, I was on sabbatical at that time, and thanks to uh, a generous grant from the Lilly Endowment, uh, we were headed as a family to Belfast and Oxford to study C.S. Lewis. And we were flying from Kansas City to Atlanta and then Atlanta on to Amsterdam. That's how we were getting over to Europe. And while we were in the air, from Kansas City to Atlanta, uh, we were notified that there was a huge set of thunderstorms that had come into Atlanta and they weren't allowing any planes to land. And so we got diverted to Nashville to get more fuel and wait for the storms in Atlanta to clear. Well, as we're sitting on the ground in Atlanta, I'm just watching my phone and watching the minutes tick down between that connection. And are we going to make it? But every time it seemed like we weren't, our Amsterdam flight, because Atlanta was delayed, it was getting delayed as well. And so I thought, maybe, there, maybe there's a chance. And finally, we got word that we were cleared for takeoff. I had to turn off my phone. We made the short hour flight to Atlanta. We landed. We got off the plane. And I ran to the monitors. And the plane was still there. There was a chance. 
And at that moment, I ran. I left my wife and our 18-month-old daughter and my mother and father-in-law behind, and I ran through the airport. I was the designated runner, get to the gate, and I was that guy. I've never been that guy except for this one time who was pushing people out of the way and bounding up the escalator two steps at a time and running and running. And of course, in Atlanta, there's that huge train you got to take, and of course, we were the furthest opposite end of the terminal. Get up the stairs, and that last 30 yards to the gate, I could see the plane was still there. I could see it through the window. So I sprinted as fast as I could, carrying two bags over my shoulder, arrived at the counter breathless, dropped my boarding pass and passport on the counter, and I begged. My family is just a few minutes behind me. We've got to get on this flight, please. And then the words came, I'm sorry, but you're too late. We've already closed the door of the plane. We can't open it. The plane's been delayed far too long already. It has to take off now. And then as the rest of my family joined me at the gate, we stood, every one of us, uh, literally with tears in our eyes, and watched our flight to Europe pull away from the gate and taxi to the runway. We were too late. Now, we were able to get a flight the next day and it took us a little longer, but we eventually made it there. But we were too late in that moment. This morning, what we're going to see as we look at the end of Matthew chapter 21 and the first part of Matthew chapter 22 is that when it comes to Jesus, it's never too late until it is. When it comes to Jesus, it's never too late until it is. We are back this year in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We spent a good chunk of 2016 exploring this gospel, this theological biography of Jesus that we have in our Bibles, one of the four that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we didn't finish the book, and so we we came back, and we're going to spend now until Easter looking at the final week of Jesus' life. And this passage this morning contains a strong warning from Jesus And it's a warning directed at the religious. So if you're here this morning and you came because your spouse dragged you or a friend said you'll come and I'll buy you breakfast afterwards or whatever, if you're here and you don't want to be and you're skeptical of religious people, I just want to tell you right now, you have a lot more in common with Jesus than maybe you think. Because if kind of hypocritical religious people make you mad, make you frustrated, they make Jesus even madder. And last week, Pastor Anthony walked us through Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem, a fulfillment of prophecy, a a vivid statement picture that he was Messiah. But he didn't stay in Jerusalem that night. He actually left the city and went to Bethany, a little town just outside of Jerusalem, and he stayed the night there. It's just a short walk away. And now we pick up the story the next morning. And Jesus is walking back into Jerusalem from Bethany. And verse 18 tells us that he's hungry. He needs some breakfast. And this is where we get this kind of bizarre story of the fig tree. And understanding what happens with this fig tree in Jesus is key to understanding this whole passage. So listen again to that section. In the morning... As he, Jesus, was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. 
And what Jesus is doing with the fig tree is the same thing he was doing in cleansing the temple of the money changers and the, and the sellers last week. Anthony also walked us through that part. He's giving an object lesson, an enacted parable. The fig tree is a symbol, it's a metaphor for the nation of Israel and particularly the religious elite. These religious leaders like the fig tree, they looked like they should have fruit. Everything about them externally said, we have fruit. But upon closer inspection, it's clear they have no fruit at all. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson is helpful here. He writes of the fig tree, its leaves advertised that it was bearing, but the advertisement was false. It made a show of life that promised fruit, yet was bearing none. You see, all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, right from the very beginning, all the way back in chapter 3, which kind of chronologically, chapter 3, chapter 21 is separated by three years. All the way three years ago, back in chapter 3, Jesus has been in conflict with the religious establishment. Back in chapter 3, the religious leaders had sent a delegation out to look at the strange guy, John the Baptist, who was preparing the way for this guy, Jesus. And when these religious leaders come to see what John the Baptist is doing, listen to what John says to them. Listen for the language of fruit and tree. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, those are the religious leaders, coming to his baptism, he, John the Baptist, said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath from come, to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, these leaders, these religious people had heard John the Baptist's warning back three years ago, back in chapter three, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, but they didn't listen. And Jesus continues John's strong warning here. This passage begins with a, a dead fig tree, and then in the final parable ends with weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, it's never too late until it is, and it's getting to be too late for the religious elites. Verses 23 and through 26, they, they question Jesus' authority, but Jesus outsmarts them and silences them. And then he tells them three stories, three parables that explain why they are beginning to face a fate like the fig tree if something doesn't change. See, religious Israel had failed to receive the Messiah, and now Jesus is widening the doors. But just as God's people ended up rejecting him, we could too also end up rejecting him. And even though these parables we're going to look at were originally an indictment of them, they're also an indictment on us. There's a lot of text to cover in these parables. Each one of them really could be a sermon in of itself. But they all go together. Jesus tells them all together and they all make one point. And so while we won't cover every detail of each one, we will see a clear picture emerge that it's never too late until it is. 
and these three stories, they give us a sense of when it might be getting to be too late. They give us a sense of when it might be getting to be too late. The first parable that Jesus tells here reveals that it might be too late if you'd rather look the part than live the part. It might be too late if you rather look the part than live the part. Verses 28 through 32, Jesus tells the story of two sons. Two sons, and he says this. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first son and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And the other son answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two, Jesus asked, did the will of the father? said the one who obeyed the first. Do you see where I'm getting this idea of those who would rather look the part than live the part? Jesus says to the religious leaders, you were just like that second son who talked a big talk but didn't actually do the work. Better, Jesus says, to reject me outright and then turn to me and truly receive me than to say, yeah, Jesus, I'm with you, but then not actually do anything that he says. Jesus continues a few verses later there, and he says, for John the Baptist came to you, religious leaders, in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw that, you did not afterward change your mind and believe. He says the, the, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, these, these kind of the bad people of the world, they were attracted. They're like that first son who initially didn't want anything to do with God, but then saw the goodness and changed their minds and came after him. But you religious leaders are like the ones who have said to me, yeah, I'm with you, I'll do it, but have never actually done it, never actually obeyed, never actually truly followed me. And it is easy. It is oh so easy to present to others, even to deceive ourselves by looking the part when really we're far from actually living it. For example, and I I know this is going to be a shock for you to hear, but there are times when, when Rachel asks me to do tasks to help out at home and, and I do them, but I do them resentfully, grudgingly, and I actually had this moment in between services. I preached, this is the second time I'm preaching this service. And Rachel had come to the first service with the girls and she said, hey, do you have time in between services to help get us all out to the car? And I'm like, okay, I'll do this. And I'm like, I got stuff to do. I need to talk to you. And I'm walking back. I'm like, Bill, you didn't even listen to your own sermon. looking the part of the helpful husband, but muttering under my breath because someone else would dare to interrupt my plan and my schedule with their need for help. It's not not great. And yet we all do it, don't we? Be on the lookout for places in your life where you are looking the part rather than living it. I mean, do you only do good work when you know the boss is watching? Do you only take extra care on that report when you know that she's going to be CC'd on it? 
how do you treat the people who work for you or your coworkers when the boss isn't around or the clients aren't there watching? Where might it be in your life that you are looking the part rather than actually living it? It's never too late until it is. The next sign that you, that it might be getting too late is that you'd rather serve yourself than serve another. And the sign that it might be getting too late is that you'd rather serve yourself than serve another. And the next story that Jesus tells is about a farmer, a landowner, who owns a vineyard and, and has leased it out to tenants to take care of it. And when it was time for harvest, when Jesus says specifically it was the season for fruit, he sends servants to collect the fruit from his vineyard, but the tenants refuse. And listen, beginning in verse 34, Jesus says, when the season for fruit grew near, he sent his servants to the, t- to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And he sent others more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants, Jesus asks? And the religious leaders reply, they said to Jesus, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him fruits in their seasons. You see, the tenants, the religious leaders, had forgotten, had ruinously forgotten in their arrogance that everything they have is a gift And they decide that they would rather be in charge of their own lives, do things their own way, and and take what they believe should be theirs by force. They'd rather serve themselves, be masters of their own destiny, rather than obey and follow the owner. They have forgotten their rightful place in the design, and it ends disastrously for them. And this, Jesus says, is what the nation of Israel and its religious establishment in particular are guilty of. They would rather remain in control than have Jesus. But this isn't just the story of Israel. This is the story of all humankind. Going all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. It's like page 2 of the story This is the story of Adam and Eve eating the fruit they were told not to eat. They decided that they would rather be their own masters, that they decided that they know best, that they will decide what is right and wrong for themselves. Every one of us since has been born with that inclination, that deadly, destructive inclination deep inside of us at the core of our being that I would rather do my own thing decide right and wrong for myself and obey anyone else or follow anyone else. 
while we like the idea of deciding right and wrong for ourselves, we all do it in small ways and big ways. This opens up a major problem. It opens up all kinds of problems. But one major problem that opens up for us is that it reduces right and wrong, good and evil, morality. It reduces it ultimately to a matter of feeling, but with no moral obligation. You see, without God, you can't ultimately ground the claim that, that murder or stealing is wrong and you shouldn't do it. You can say, I don't like it. You can say, well, you shouldn't do that because it hurts other people. But if one of someone says to you, but I, I like hurting people, and, and I think that the strong should triumph over the weak, and you can, well, you shouldn't like that. Well, why shouldn't I like that? Who put you in charge? Do you see the trouble? Only when you have a transcendent authority can you ground a sense of moral obligation that you ought to do these things and ought not to do others. Otherwise, we're simply left with, with my feelings and my understanding of right and wrong against someone else's. Where are you most inclined to want to serve yourself than to serve another? If it's in, in finances, how you use and spend your money. Maybe it's in your sexuality, your career. It's never too late until it is. The last indication that Jesus gives us here in this passage that it might be getting too late, and this is the one that was most sobering to me personally this week as I studied this passage and wrestled with it, is that you'd rather do anything without him then celebrate with him. Might be getting too late if you'd rather do anything without him than celebrate with him. And here Jesus tells the story of a king, a king who is throwing a wedding feast for his son. And listen uh, to the story beginning in, in verse 2 of chapter 22. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servant to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. And the king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. There are a couple of key things to understand about the story. First, that weddings were even a much bigger deal in that culture than they are, are in ours, and, and weddings are a pretty big deal in our culture. Second, that this is an incredibly lavish feast. Uh, we're used to, in a 21st century Western context, to, to eating meat. It's not that big of a deal to go to Hy-Vee and pick out a, a steak or some chicken. 
But in that cultural context and economic reality, meat was an incredible luxury, especially meat that wasn't fish. To get, get steak, to get a, a, an ox and a fattened cat, that's an unheard of kind of a luxury. And third, snubbing the invitation to the king's son wedding was simply not done. The invited guests of honor in the story would rather be anywhere without the king than celebrate with him. It would be like inviting your best friend to your wedding and have them tell you, well, let me check my calendar. Yeah, I'm free that day, but I, I'd rather go into the office. I'd rather go into work on my day off than come to your wedding. And again, the consequences are disastrous. And Jesus wants us to feel that. But don't also miss this in the passage, that God is an, invi- is an inviting God. He sends his servants to invite both bad and good to the wedding. Did you see that? The the only requirement for coming to the wedding is accepting the invitations. It doesn't matter what kind of life you've lived. It doesn't, doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus wants you at this wedding, and all you have to do is come when he invites you. Are we a church where anyone feels like they can come? bad or good. You see what (laughs) disqualified the others wasn't their goodness or bad. They just wouldn't come. He sends then servants everywhere, invites good and bad. The only requirement for coming is to come, to accept the invitation. But all too often I find myself, and not usually consciously, but but demonstrated in my actions, wanting to be anywhere or do anything else and celebrate with him. I see it in myself in still quiet moments when I'm prompted to pray or pick up my Bible or to contemplate God's beauty and nature, but instead I, I, I turn to my phone or to social media or I turn on the TV or in the car, I'll turn on NPR or the baseball game. Sometimes it truly does seem that I would rather be or do anything else than to sit and enjoy the presence of the one who loves me, who made me, who gave himself for me. God, have mercy on us, mercy on me. Maybe you're wondering in this moment, is it, is it too late for me, Bill? You keep saying it's never too late and until it is. Is it too late for me? If you're worried about this, am, am I really a Christian? Is it too late for me? I just want to know, let you know that's not how, that's not where the Pharisees were coming from at that moment. That's not who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking primarily to people who are worried about this. He's talking to people who aren't worried about this. If you're worried, that's a great sign. In some ways, that's what this passage is designed to do, to cause us to take stock of our lives. Are there signs in my life that it's getting to be too late, that I'm, I'm drifting away? You know, but the real problem is if you're not worried, if you don't care, If you're not worried, you're who Jesus is talking to, saying, wake up. Don't end up like the fig tree. Because here's the good news. It's not too late. And you know how I know that it's not too late? For you, for me, because even many of the religious leaders, the priests, came to faith in Jesus after his resurrection. 
after the four Gospels, there's a book in the Bible called Acts, and it's written by Luke, one of the other Gospel writers, and it picks up the story after Jesus' resurrection. And look what Luke records for us in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. He says, and the Word of God, that's the good news of the Gospel, this good news about Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, and the Word of God continued to increase in the number of disciples, that's people who have trusted Jesus, who are following after Him, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And then Luke just adds this little note, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It is not too late. As long as you have breath in your lungs and a beating heart in your chest, it is not too late. It's not. So, so be like the second son who, even though he refused, the first son, even though he refused at first, changed his mind and, and repented. That's what repentance means, to change your mind, to be walking one direction and then turn around and go the other way and did what his father asked. Receive the owner when he comes looking for fruit in the vineyard. Be willing to serve another. He, he knows better how to run your life than you do anyway. Respond to the invitation of the king. Come to the feast. Come without any of your own goodness or your own sort of good enoughness or, or the right whatever. Come and just come to the invitation. That's only requirement to come to the wedding is to respond to the invitation. Come and enjoy the celebration with him. And here's the even better news. Not only are you invited to the wedding feast, but Jesus wants you to make, make you a part of the wedding party. Because all throughout Scripture, God's people are talked about as his bride, his wife, this metaphor. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about the church as, as this analogy of the bride of Christ. You see, when Jesus came and died for your sins and for mine, for our rejection of him, he didn't just do that so he could be, make us his servants, though we are that. The New Testament constantly talks to us about being slaves, servants of Christ. But, but he didn't just do that so you could be his friend. Though Jesus does tell us now, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. We are his friends. He didn't just do it so he could be his servants or his friends. He did it so that you could be his bride. The object of his affection and his care and his love and his sacrifice and his delight for all of eternity. Don't miss that invitation. Even if you are sitting here this morning and you're thinking, this all seems ridiculous. If there's even a chance that you might be wrong. There's even a possibility that the story that the Bible offers perhaps is not only one that gives the most explanation to life, but is also true Take the time to try to find that out. You won't be disappointed. We have been invited to a great wedding feast. We are the guest of honor. It's never too late to come. It's never too late. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would have mercy on me and mercy on each one of us. And we confess that we 
so often are guilty of looking the part rather than living it, of preferring our own ways and living our own way rather than obeying you and trusting you. We'd rather do be anywhere else than with you. Would you now, in this beginning of a new year, warm our affections and our desires for Jesus? Would you give us a fresh hunger for him and delight in him and joy in him? For our enjoyment and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.